everyone. We're starting today's episode like it's a Dan Brown cliffhanger. Albert Einstein, age 26 and muscular, reeled in shock, barely noticing the beautiful Fräulein in his arms. He looked in her brown eyes and said, come with me. I just realized what E equals. Find out more on today's book pile, <laughs> Einstein by Walter Isaacson. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and a good husband, which means that Walter Isaacson will never write my biography. <laughs> yeah, genuinely, it's like... How many people does he need to write about leaving their children before you wonder about skeletons in Isaacson's closet? (laughs) And I'm David Vance. In middle school, I did a huge project on Einstein, because the year before I did Alexander the Great, and I thought it was funny to stick with the owls. Einstein is the story of a staggering creative genius who, it turns out, wasn't actually bad in school, so stop getting your hopes up. And this is The Book Pile. All right, this week we're doing a special Einstein deal where if you rate and review the book pile, then just like Einstein, we will date our cousin. (laughs) You didn't warn me about that one. Wait, is that too uh, adult? I just mean I I, I didn't sign off on that. (laughs) Please don't review if that's what's going to happen. No, you can pick which cousin. (laughs) Monkey9909 says... I found this podcast late, and they had 60 episodes when I started. I binged and caught up after a week, and I found an empty hole where this podcast used to be. The same way Dave feels when he finishes Harry Potter for the third time in a year. (laughs) I love that after a week of binging this podcast, it gives people to be knee-deep in insult opportunities. (laughs) Yeah, they already know what both of our deals are. So if you want to see me live, I'm in Portland for Valentine's Day. Helium Comedy Club, Portland, Oregon. Go to kellenerskin.com for tickets. I don't know how you spell that. (laughs) Finally, our next book is The Space Between Worlds, which we learned in our Martian episode is something that Kellen knows and Dave does not. (laughs) All right, without further ado, here are four lessons that we took from Einstein. All right. Lesson one, solve complex things by imagining simple ones. This is why when I was asked to finish an equation on a chalkboard in front of a class, I would just draw butts. (laughs) My my teachers seemed to understand because they would just be like, okay, Einstein. (laughs) So nice to meet a peer. (laughs) So instead of starting with equations to try and solve a problem, Einstein would first conduct thought experiments. And Isaacson says that Einstein repeatedly stated that his path to relativity started at the age of 16 when he imagined what it would be like to ride alongside a beam of light. Another example of a thought experiment, when Einstein was responding to his own son's question of, why he was so famous. He used an image to explain that gravity was the curving of the fabric of space-time. Einstein answered his son with, quote, When a blind beetle crawls over the surface of a curved branch, it doesn't notice that the track it has covered is curved. I was lucky enough to notice what the beetle didn't notice. It's very poetic and also, can this beetle not feel? Is it never aware, like, oh, crap, I'm upside down. (laughs) (laughs) 
I like to think too that his son was like forty three when he asked it, and he's like, "Oh, thanks, Dad." <laughs> so I've been in a similar situation where my son will ask, "Hey, Dad, how did you get to this point where three times a year someone will recognize you in an airport?" <laughs> and I respond with, "Well." When a YouTube clip of a beetle hits a million views, but then there are eight billion people on the planet. Not that many people actually remember the beetle. So here's another thought experiment that he uses um, to, uh, in uh, trying to figure out what relativity means. So he says, "Imagine a ship sailing incredibly fast, and then a beam of light is shown from the top of its mast down onto the deck. To one of the sailors, the beam of light is traveling straight down because the sailor's moving at the same speed as the ship. But to an observer on the shore, uh, which would be me because I'm afraid of sailing, someone who can watch <laughs> all of this in like matrix slow motion, that beam of light is going to appear longer, like the diagonal of a right triangle. Mm. A clear example to me, I mean, I already mentioned I'm sort of Einstein 2.0. An example <laughs> that he wouldn't have had access to at the time is just to consider throwing a baseball on an airplane, which I used to do all the time, but can't anymore. Thanks, Al-Qaeda. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, of all the pastimes they ruined... <laughs> So to a passenger on the ground who can somehow see through the plane, the ball is flying faster relative to him. But to the guy in first class who I'm lobbing the ball to, it's much slower. Or at least that's what I try to explain to him when he turns around. <laughs> anyway. No, no, you see Einstein. And then you point to your book cover. I like to take my copy of Einstein to the coffee shop where I just vigorously nod while saying, I get it. I get it. <laughs> When I was a bachelor, I would go to the park where there were lots of ladies, and I would accidentally drop the Einstein book. <laughs> like, oh, whoops. Imagine a desperate bachelor walking by some women and dropping just 20 copies of Einstein. <laughs> Whoa. Scrambling to collect them like, oh, man, so many MC squareds. <laughs> These are gifts for all of my future children. Oh, do you want kids too? <laughs> I hope they'll be just as smart as Al and me. <laughs> so in both of these examples, the beam of light or the baseball can be substituted for time in that it travels slower to the person in the medium with which it is traveling. They've since proven this in experiments that uh, people who, like airline pilots who spend a lifetime flying jets are literally milliseconds younger than those who don't. So, Dave, I know that you and I record most of these podcasts remotely, but the next time you see me and you're wondering uh, how I haven't aged, uh, it's because I, I'm now a Delta Gold member. <laughs> so the takeaway from all of this is you don't have to understand any of this. You just have to know that now I do. <laughs> All right, lesson two. The best way to learn the theory of relativity is from a comedian who kind of gets it. <laughs> so I've been taking a special relativity course because I am how I seem. <laughs> and 
I'm going to do my best to explain a cool part of it, even though, one, I can't use visuals, two, I am not qualified, and three, you may not care. (laughs) Also, if a scientist comes along and says, whoa, that comedian got relativity super wrong, that's not true. Don't listen. (laughs) All right, so first, to get relativity, there's this crazy fact you have to know, which is the speed of light is the same no matter how fast you're going. So to show how dumb that is, Let's look at a bullet metaphor. So say say Kellen shoots me with a bullet that goes a thousand miles an hour. And I'm like, oh, that really hurt. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to fly away from Kellen at 999 miles per hour. So I do, and he shoots, and the bullet still hits me at a thousand miles an hour. <laughs> like what kind of Looney Tunes BS? <laughs> and so as dumb as that sounds... That's how light works, where it's always the same speed in relation to you. And I I know I'm way oversimplifying that, both for comedy reasons and incompetence reasons. Uh, For one thing, from my perspective, it's Kellen who's moving and I'm at rest. And anyway, you can go and watch actual videos on this. (laughs) Now I get why my strategy never works uh, when I run away from people as fast as I can during laser tag. (laughs) That's a really funny image. <laughs> it's also hard to run when I'm holding all my Einstein books. <laughs> anyway, here's the next crazy thing. So, two things that happen at the same time from my perspective may not have been at the same time from your perspective, and neither one of us is wrong. Meaning, there's no such thing as an absolute time. So here's an example. Say I'm on a football field at the 50-yard line, right in the middle, which I say for Kellen's benefit. (laughs) And say there's there's a stormtrooper with a laser gun at each goalpost, and they both fire at me. If their lasers hit me at the same time, that means they shot at the same time, right? Same Mm -hmm. distance, speed of light, blah, blah, blah. Okay, now we do it again. And this time, Kellen is flying at half the speed of light, Uh, Playing laser tag. (laughs) (laughs) And right when he passes the 50-yard line where I'm standing, I see the two stormtroopers fire. Okay, now one laser is going to hit Kellen first, right? Because he's flying in that direction. Okay, but that's not how Kellen sees it. From Kellen's perspective, he's at rest. The earth is moving very quickly. And so if one laser hits Kellen first and both lasers were shot from the same distance and light is the same speed in all directions... That means for Kellen, one stormtrooper shot first, and he's right. Even though for Dave, they shot at the same time, and I'm also right. Isn't that crazy? That's wild. So is this what's behind that whole Greedo Han Solo argument? (laughs) I also noticed only after I made this example that I chose two famously bad shooters. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it funny? That even if the stormtroopers were completely naked, there would be the same number of casualties. (laughs) Like that armor does nothing. Oh. (laughs) I was telling you about this the other day, that our first exposure to stormtroopers is when they capture Leia and one of them's like, set your guns to stun, and then Leia just ices him. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Minute Physics on YouTube has a great video series on relativity. It goes into much better depth and accuracy. So if you're looking for a teacher who knows more than you instead of less, (laughs) it's good to check out. (laughs) All right. Lesson three. 
Connect the unconnected. Connect the unconnected would be my slogan if I were a surgeon who reversed vasectomies. (laughs) (laughs) So Einstein had a compulsion to unify concepts from different branches of physics. He said, quote, It is a glorious feeling to discover a unity in a set of phenomena that seem at first to be completely separate. I've used this point at least once before of Connect the Unconnected uh, when we discussed Leonardo da Vinci in The Da Vinci Code, (laughs) where Dan Brown definitely connected a ton of like illogically unconnected things. No, in the in our when we discussed the biography of Leonardo da Vinci, who not only like tried to connect things, but seemed to believe that most things were connected, and his curiosity was concerned more with discovering how they were. Like he compared the swirl of a shell fossil to the rings of a tree, or the tributaries of a river to the offshoots of veins from arteries. You know, mm. but it's just funny he never connected like starting a job to finishing it. <laughs> The complete theory of relativity is comparing the relationships of light and gravity, which, you know, he was a, a pioneer of at the time. And something something that struck me while reading this book is that, like, this idea is what equations are. An equation oh, is, yeah. is a written formula for how two seemingly unrelated things can now be related E equals mc squared it shows how a unit of mass will be equal to its energy when it's multiplied by the speed of light squared. These are different versions of now the, the same thing. And I think he did demonstrate that kind of thing multiple times that he showed, you know, mass and energy are just different manifestations of the same thing. And time and space are just different sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. A cousin is also a lover. <laughs> Yeah, and I I think it's crazy, too, that if you look at his miracle year in 1905, it's crazy just the breadth of topics that it spanned, because you have all the way down to the very smallest scale where he's looking at the photoelectric effect, which was the first time that we knew that light traveled as photons, you know, these individual particles. And he's looking at Brownian motion, which, if I understand correctly, is one of the papers that most convinced the scientific world that matter is composed of atoms. And then on the other side of that scale, he's working on the special theory of relativity. So what happens when you're moving near the speed of light at these immense distances? And so there was no scale he wasn't interested in, Mm -hmm. other than the scale of his kids. (laughs) (laughs) All right, lesson four. We don't just need smart thinkers, we need different thinkers. Something I kept noticing in this book is that Einstein isn't just smart, he also uses very different thinking tools from other people. So, for instance, other physicists used a lot of experiments or a lot of math, and Einstein just kind of loved thinking about principles, to the point where when he worked on general relativity, he was like, ah, now I have to learn new math. (laughs) Another thing, he was a very visual thinker, like If you look at relativity, he's just thinking in pictures. And he said, I very rarely think in words at all. A thought comes and I may try to express it in words afterwards. So it's nice to know even a genius would have bombed the verbal SATs. (laughs) So I bring this up because I think there's so much value in diverse ways of thinking. Matthew Syed in Rebel Ideas talks about how the CIA knew about bin Laden But they were a bunch of white Christian guys, mostly. And they were basically like, you know, he lives in a cave. How can he hurt us? 
what I call the Gollum fallacy. <laughs> but Syed points out, you know, if you had more Muslim agents, they'd be more likely to realize, oh, he's living in a cave because he wants to seem like Muhammad and rally people around a religious war. Mm. Anyway, all this to say, if, if we're working with people who just think like us, I think we're missing out. I've always said Gollum is the Bin Laden of Middle Earth. <laughs> Lives in a cave, is evil. <laughs> um, likes fish. I guess I don't know that much about Bin Laden. <laughs> <laughs> Burns in a fiery hell. <laughs> Once made a deal with a giant spider. <laughs> Both were bigger deals in the early 2000s than they are now. <laughs> Both of them were in Academy Award-winning movies. <laughs> <laughs> no one at parties wants to hear your impression of either. <laughs> All right, random facts. So I love stories about insulting Nobel Prizes. Like Ernest Rutherford said, all science is either physics or stamp collecting. And then his Nobel was in chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that Einstein wins the Nobel, not for special relativity, not general relativity, not his E equals MC squared paper. He wins for the one that helped launch the quantum revolution, which he would then fight against the rest of his life. <laughs> it's like how Kissinger and Obama won the Peace Prize, even though they were always at war. <laughs> I wish that a couple of years into his presidency, the, the laureate would have been like, okay, Mr. President, 300 more drone strikes and we're taking that away from you. <laughs> yeah, they really should use like an SNL system where they have a featured Nobel Prize winner before they're sure they want to bring you on full time. <laughs> One sketch that I've wanted to write is uh, the end of the Nobel Prize ceremony where they, where they award who got last place. <laughs> Here's a guy who was the worst at science this year. <laughs> and last place in the Peace Prize is always Alfred Nobel for dynamite. <laughs> I think about that, how you can do whatever you want with your life but as long as you get rich and use the money to sponsor a prize, people can think you're a good person. Like, Pulitzer is the bad guy in Newsies. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes from the book. In 1915, Einstein had published his cap equation of his general theory of relativity. And Isaacson says, his marriage had collapsed and war was ravaging Europe. But Einstein was as happy as he ever would be. <laughs> so Einstein and Charlie Chaplin went to a film premiere together, and Chaplin said to Einstein, they cheer me because they all understand me, and they cheer you because no one understands you. <laughs> <laughs> so Einstein's mother hated Einstein's wife. <laughs> and when they first started dating, his soon-to-be wife, Marge, was 24, and Einstein was 21. And Einstein's mother said, by the time you're 30, she'll be an old witch. Because <laughs> she assumed Einstein would be traveling at near light speed. <laughs> I also think it's funny that when men try to do magic, 
it's like, this is Sir Isaac Newton, alchemist. And when a woman tries, it's like, she's a witch. (laughs) I always think of how sad it must have been for Newton that he only got to be a scientist when what he wanted to be was a wizard. (laughs) So Einstein's most cited paper cracks me up because it's not relativity. It's one where he's fighting against quantum mechanics and he's like, Quantum mechanics can't be fully accurate, because if it was, you'd get this insane thing called quantum entanglement. Ooh. (laughs) And I love picturing his horror when he found out that you do. (laughs) (laughs) One of the darkest, but to me a little bit funny, parts of the book is the story of how Einstein wanted to prove part of his theory of relativity, uh, specifically how gravity can bend light around a body, which at the time uh, they figured could only be done during a total solar eclipse. And so he funded and sent a team to Russia to photograph this eclipse. Um, And then World War I started and that team got captured by the Russians. (laughs) (laughs) And there was definitely this conversation where the team was like, no, 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 we're here to take pictures of the sun. (laughs) That's why we have so many lenses and recording equipment. (laughs) That poor team of Germans in the absolute worst place at the worst time. So Einstein, he goes to college, he takes tons of physics courses from this Professor Weber, but... He says that he eventually grew tired of them because, as Einstein put it, at the end of our studies, we knew all about the past of physics, but nothing of the present or future. And to me, it's such—it's just such a crazy, ambitious way of thinking, right? Especially in science and, and in math, an idea that's proven, like an equation, it doesn't age, it just is. So I can't imagine, like, can you imagine interrupting a calculus class? Like, <laughs> look, professor, we're all very impressed with this, but <laughs> could you tell us more about the future of differential equations? <laughs> I do the opposite. I go to math classes, and when they teach the new stuff, I'm like, boo, play the hits. (laughs) It's just Pythagoras' theorem. (laughs) One of the funniest burns in the book is when Isaacson, he speaks to the point you brought up earlier. He said, Einstein didn't fail math. And this is Isaacson saying, quote, it's a widely held belief written in scores of books and thousands of websites designed to reassure underachieving students. (laughs) 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 So Einstein's cap of general theory of relativity, uh, how gravity warps space-time, it's a much longer equation. It's not as marketable as E equals MC squared, but it's it was this incredible breakthrough that some scientists have called the greatest discovery uh, in history. And what I think is incredible about this too, this, this equation, is that in 2015, so exactly 100 years after this equation was published, the first visible evidence of gravitational waves was detected. It was when two black holes collided And that's when the gravitational waves were seen and it was proven this equation that was written a hundred years ago, which also black holes hadn't even been discovered in 1915. It wasn't for another like 60 years, but this equation 
showed that they could exist. Wow. All right. So I just wanted to ask you real quick. I have to say that like my experience reading this book, I thought that it it was fascinating, um, but it wasn't for me, it wasn't as enjoyable of a read as like Da Vinci or Steve Jobs. There is there is mm-hmm. an incredible amount of physics in it. And I understood about 80%, which I was proud of. Another fun fact, I do have an associate's degree in physics. Um, Very nice. Which <laughs> associate's degrees are so funny because it's like, congratulations, you're halfway there. <laughs> it means you can associate with a physicist. <laughs> and so overall, it w- I mean, this biography was almost like a don't meet your heroes moment for me because I actually like I gained admiration for the equations and I lost respect for Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't handle me at my Ein, you don't deserve me at my Stein. <laughs> Is that a comparison of Atlas Shrugged and Goosebumps? <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on this, you know, compared to, to other biographies? I was really fascinated by the physics and I was fascinated by his process And with all the stuff with him abandoning his child and then his wife and sort of his other children, I was like, oh, wow, I really give him a free pass in comparison to Steve Jobs, who I roast on that all the time. (laughs) And I expect that to continue. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think that is? Because Einstein has just sort of been lionized in in culture and Steve Jobs is like an, an easier sort of target. I know we're all hypocrites on different things, but it's like when you like someone a little bit more. You just give them much more of a free pass. (laughs) Also, it's the juiciness. If you tell your friend that Einstein abandoned his child, they're like, yeah, okay. If you tell them Steve Jobs did, they're like, really? (laughs) What a jerk. (laughs) It's also a better conversational piece because if you say that Steve Jobs abandoned his kid, there's much more of an opportunity for someone to blame it on capitalism. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because Einstein was like a uh, like a devout minimalist to his family. He was like, uh, "I don't need fancy cars or furniture or you." <laughs> All right. To recap, our favorite lessons from Einstein: one, solve complex things by imagining simple ones; two, the best way to learn the theory of relativity is from a comedian who kind of gets it. Three, connect the unconnected. Four, we don't just need smart thinkers, we need different thinkers. And five, if you see me at the gym with a laser gun on a treadmill, I'm just practicing. (laughs) 